hey folks, so we're going to do something we've not done before, which is for the next two Fridays, so that would be Friday the 3rd and Friday the 10th of May, we're not going to have a show. Womp womp. Right, and so uh, as we've talked about on here, I am moving during that time. Uh, so the third is actually my last day at work in Boulder. And then that whole next week, we will be in transition. So it's very likely that I won't even know where the microphones are. <laughs> I don't think this is any excuse, John. You can just record on your phone on driving through the expanse <laughs> of Kansas. I don't see why we're doing this, but fine. It's fine. <laughs> well, it's not like you're going to be going to field camp either. Uh, yeah, actually, I start that next week. So, you know. Maybe it'll be a three-week hiatus. No, just kidding. <laughs> so Shannon is going to drive out to Colorado. I'm going to drive back to Northwest Arkansas. We'll <laughs> high-five somewhere in the middle of Kansas and hand off show notes. But we'll be back after two weeks. If you are a Patreon supporter, don't worry. I'm going to go in and pause Patreon for the month of May. How nice of you. <laughs> and as always, thank you for listening. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks. See you in the summer. Ninety percent of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Uh, just reading all these theses. <laughs> <laughs> so many theses. Yes, the advantage is you don't only have to read your students, but you have to read other students who have kindly added you to their committee. I know. And it's like, it happens, you know, so early on in their careers and I forget about it. And then I'm like, oh, man, all my chickens are coming home to roost. But I did do something very exciting today. I'm real excited about. Um, Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. What'd you do? I bought tickets to see Bill Nye in Oklahoma City. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Apparently, um, the Science Museum Oklahoma, or those of us from around here, the Omniplex, are trying to raise money to get a new planetarium going. And this is one of their kickoff events, is that Bill Nye is coming and he's screening this movie and then is going to stick around and do a Q&A and stuff afterwards. That's awesome. I am so excited. I'm going to take my son. And I was like, do you want to go see Bill Nye? And he goes, oh, that science dude from YouTube? <laughs> or from PBS. Oh, man. I thought, I'm so old. I feel so old right now. <laughs> but we're both going. I'm very excited. <laughs> That's awesome. I got to see him at Penn State, and he was a really wonderful speaker. So I, I, I knew really you had, it. so I was going to ask, um, but I knew I already knew that you love him. So <laughs> It's true, and uh, we do have a few people at Listen that know him uh, on a oh. personal level. So if anybody ever wants to try to get him on our show, we would love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I'll take him a sticker to this thing, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, we did the planetary thing. We'll just bring him on as, you know. So that's a that has been um, getting me through. That's only in a couple of weeks, actually, and so that's getting me through all these defenses that I have to deal with. Yes, I, I would love to go, but I am unfortunately shortly after the move. I have three weeks of back-to-back travel. Oh my gosh, you're moving and then leaving. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're <laughs> saint of a wife, but we all knew that anyway. It, we did. <laughs> I think that I think it's actually two weeks, and then there's a week back home, and then there's a week after that. So it's not quite straight back to back, but yeah, it's it's real close. Wow, sorry, honey, I can't unpack. Gotta go. It's gonna be lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're gonna be a joy. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, you know, moving along. April's always a terrible month, so at least now you get to relive some of the franticness of the end of the semester with your move yeah and you know may is going to be busy but by the end of june things are going to be more calmed down just in time for me to work in the sweltering heat oh yes yes yeah welcome back to the humidity man (laughs) at least there are mosquitoes at least there are to make it better (laughs) yeah (laughs) you 
ironically, I got it. <laughs> oh, but, uh, you know, I thought for this week, I was trying to figure out what will we talk about. And there's a logical follow on to what we talked about last week. And we got some great feedback on last week's show on Twitter. Excellent, because I didn't so, understand any of it. I'm not going to understand anything this week either. <laughs> so I thought last week we talked all about measurement. So this week, let's talk about control, because not only do we need to measure variables in the laboratory, we need to control variables in the laboratory. Okay, so control the variables or control the things that are measuring the variables? Uh, not control the things that are measuring, but control the physical thing. Oh, okay. All right, so this is going to be even worse for me than last week. Okay, I understand. So like controlling <laughs> temperature, for example. Thermostats, yeah, check. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> if you've ever been in our labs, you know it's a joke trying to use the thermostat. <laughs> oh, the thermostats on the walls at universities are, I'm convinced, purely placebos. Uh, completely. Who is doing this stuff? Like, Where's that master switch? Because somebody has it. Uh, you know, it's just one of those little uh, kids. You remember the mercury ones, the round <laughs> ones that went on the wall? A hundred percent. I believe that's true. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes somebody sticks a lighter up to it every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is uh, on control. You know, last week we talked a lot about transducers, which were taking a physical thing and turning it into a signal that in the end was a voltage that we measured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And technically everything we're going to talk about today is also a transducer because it is changing forms of energy. But generally when we're going from the electrical to the mechanical, we call it an actuator. Okay. You don't call it a transducer anymore. Right. I mean, technically, sure, a heating element is a transducer. It's turning electrical energy into heat energy. But we would probably term it an actuator. So to me, transducers are inputs, actuators are outputs. Okay. Actuator is a much more um, active sounding word too. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> You're manipulating some physical thing. You are actualizing it. Okay. And so there's lots of example of these things, right? And one of them I recognize, stepper motors. I know what that is. Yeah. So stepper motors are a great way to do rotation or translation of whatever you're doing. And you see these all over in equipment. You're an average printer. You know, you've probably got a laser and inkjet printer sitting by you right now or very close by. They have several stepper motors in them. Oh, much tinier than the ones I'm used to working with, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a lot smaller than the ones in your lab. <laughs> <laughs> How cute. <laughs> uh, but there's also, you know, just normal motors where you put power on and they they spin them a thing, as AVE would say. <laughs> nice. And so those, you know, if you've got a fan or something like that, where you don't need precise control of where it is, you just need it to spin. There's several different types, brushless and brushed motors that you can use there. Okay. That's not just the name of, you know, sinks, brush steel. <laughs> yeah. So, so brushed actually have little uh, wear elements called brushes that transmit the electricity to the rotating section through physical contact, whereas brushless motors, there are no brushes. It's all the, the rotating. You can think of it as the outrunner motor on a lot of the drones that you see. The outer section of the motor rotates, mm -hmm. and it's just magnets. The inner part that has all of the electrical contacts is fixed. Okay. Where's the, the stator? Gotcha. Uh, details, but <laughs> all that to say that motors are one of the most common actuators around. Okay. That makes sense. And, you know, in your lab, we needed to position things precisely. And one of the beauties of stepper motors is you can position the shaft depending on the motor and how it's wound and what your stepper controller is. Uh, on your motors, I believe we can position it to a few hundredths of a degree? I mean, you know, we usually take much more detailed measurements than that, but I guess that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that field work. I don't <laughs> believe that. Five degrees? Yeah, are you good? <laughs> yeah, this, so is, a, this a, is impressive. A coarse stepper motor would be 0.8 degrees per step. Right, so that's my old stepper motor. 
Gotcha. Right. Or, you know, one point something for some of them. Uh, but generally the, we do a technique called micro-stepping where we actually go fractions of a step. Which is really impressive. How new is that technology? Yeah, it's been around for a long time, probably since the 50s or 60s. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, controllers that can do it reliably and for less than large sums of money more recently. Ah, uh, that makes more sense then. I mean, like even CNC machining has been around for a long time. It's just now it's becoming more affordable. Right. It goes on your desk literally now. Right. Correct. Okay. I got that. But there's also like super old school stuff like hydraulics and pneumatics. Yeah. And you know, they are old school, but man, they are the, the Lego blocks of industry. <laughs> I always find this really interesting how you know, this old technology is still around in so many labs, just all kinds of old tech. And sometimes it's just the simple fact of, well, it works. Why would you do anything else? You know? Well, and even in building new things, there are certainly scenarios where hydraulics or pneumatics are the answer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, transmitting large amounts of force, a hydraulic system is great at that. You would have to have an amazingly large stepper motor and then huge gearbox. <laughs> <laughs> to get some of these amounts of force and it wouldn't be able to move nearly as fast as a hydraulic cylinder can a hydraulic yeah. cylinder can apply power and take it off very quickly right that's interesting uh, pneumatics are a really great way if you've got a lot of uh, actuators that are turning a valve on or off down a line it's a lot cheaper to just run a little six millimeter air hose than to run a bunch of electrical cable mm. yep that makes sense air too. hose is a lot cheaper than copper Yes. <laughs> Infinitely cheaper. <laughs> and, okay. you know, you don't have to, maybe you've got a, uh, this occurs in some labs that I've worked in, where you have a potentially explosive environment. <laughs> yes. Uh, you have pressurized methane right. or something like that, mm -hmm. where if you get a leak, then now you have an explosive gas mixture. Uh -huh. You can't have electrical signals running in and out of there you have to have things like air actuated valves yes exactly mm -hmm. and so that's definitely uh you know air actuated vents to vent a vessel or something uh, those are pretty common things when you need that isolation of i cannot have electricity contact this media right <laughs> yeah okay that makes total sense and i mean they work so there you go yeah, and there are ways to go back and forth between all of these things, right? There are switches that are actuated by air pressure. So when you get an air signal, it makes or opens a switch. And there are valves that open or close air lines with electrical signals. Mm -hmm. There are hydraulic valves called servo valves that let you control the movement of a hydraulic piston or a hydraulic actuator uh, very easily or transfer valves to do it in a more coarse method. Uh, and there are ways that hydraulics can actuate electrical things. Okay. So that there are ways to go back and forth between all of these different types of power. Though, to, in my mind, the main categories are fluid power and electrical power. Fluid being air or oil. Right, yeah. That makes sense. And I, I use a decent amount of both of them. In fact, uh, just today, I was working on a system where there are electrical signals that control a pneumatic valve. And when that opens, it turns a actuator that is powered by air to open a hydraulic valve. <laughs> so okay. electrical to pneumatic to hydraulic. And each of those, you could sort of think of it as, uh, for those of you familiar with electricity, transistors or relays are a way to control large things with small signals. So that's exactly what this is doing. My hydraulic system is very high pressure, very high volume, very scary and dangerous. <laughs> the little button that you push on the front panel to unlock it, none of those. there's a couple there. milliamps of current at 5 volts flowing through it. Yeah. <laughs> so you press the little button, the couple milliamps at 5 volts, that's not a lot of power. It can't do much work. So it opens an air valve. Then the air system pushes on a big thing to open the high pressure valve, and then we get all the power. So it's a couple stages. Of, you could think of it as force amplification. Okay. And so that's why you would choose to mix these things together. Yeah. So isolation or amplification. Okay. Gotcha. And I'm assuming 
I mean, each one of these things is going to do better at a certain task, just like you said. So, like, hydraulics is a good way to, you know, move a lot of force that you wouldn't be able to do with a stepper motor. Right. And, I mean, there are ways to do all, everything with all of these. Like, right. Uh, but... You know, brakes on your car. On a normal car, that's a hydraulic system. Right. Right. But on a trailer that you're towing, you're not hooking up unless you're a semi air hydraulic lines you're hooking up electric brakes yep so you can do it either way one of them is more expensive and less efficient but that's the practical way (laughs) why does the money always have to be the 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 thing man oh yeah you know it's what do they say Mm -hmm. good fast or cheap but you can't have all of them (laughs) well normally they say pick two in reality it's more like pick one and a half (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) I think that should be your new business motto. (laughs) Pick one and a half. Yeah. (laughs) So these are all different types of actuators. There are some others that are less common, uh, though you certainly have systems that have them, like piezo actuators. I told you I don't know what we're talking about this week at all. (laughs) (laughs) These are, you know, you've got uh, a crystal and you induce some strain on it and you get a voltage out or you can put a oh. voltage on it and you get some strain out oh like a gravity meter huh or a watch a watch a watch there you go there you go so a quartz <laughs> oscillator uh, oh piezometers sorry that's what i was thinking of but you can actually get you know you stack a bunch of these layers and this is how you do a lot of very fine sample manipulation uh under you know like tems and that kind of thing oh okay nope that makes a lot of sense then okay so super tiny move so these, these piezo motors might be able to move your sample you know plus or minus <laughs> nanometers <laughs> not the meter that i needed to go gotcha <laughs> <laughs> not you know the uh, uh with a stepper motor or any other kind of linear stage it would be very hard to do that mm-hmm. very expensive there would be lots of uh, you know, you need ball screws to transfer the rotary motion to the horizontal motion. And uh, piezos are a very inexpensive way to do that. But they have very limited range and are very low force. They're inexpensive, though. Hmm. Right. I wouldn't have guessed that. Inexpensive compared to all the precision machined parts you would need. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> to do it the other way. Inexpensive <laughs> is a relative term. <laughs> oh, all right. This is great. This is why you do this and I do not do this <laughs> okay all right so you've got all these things that do all these things great where do you go from there <laughs> well so you have to control them somehow right mm-hmm. i thought we decided it's all just voltage that's it it is but you can manipulate that voltage oh yes so <laughs> voltage is a continuous quantity like we talked about last week right you know there are, there are infinite voltage levels between zero and one volt if you have something that will measure it out to enough precision. That will do it, right. Okay. Uh, generally, once we get past the third or fourth decimal place, we kind of round <laughs> in practical. Yeah. Significant. Sub-millivolt, especially you, sometimes you're measuring like input offset voltages on amplifiers down to the microvolts. Oh, impressive. Below that, then you start really worrying about what's the voltage drop in my test leads and... Yeah. Yeah, it gets painful. What's a few nanovolts between friends? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we need to control these things. And some things uh, lend themselves to what would be called on-off control, but you'll more often colloquially hear it called bang-bang control. <laughs> I'm going to walk around saying this in front of electrical engineers just to sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> um okay great so bang it's on bang it's off nothing in between exactly got it got it creative it's so good (laughs) Uh, and this is things like you know those uh hydraulic valves that i was talking about they're either open Open. or they're closed i don't kind of open them (laughs) well i mean maybe if they got a problem they do but yeah i gotcha (laughs) right kind of opening them generally results in bad things Mm -hmm. yes or you know, you said a thermostat for a building. <laughs> Heat and air conditioners are bang, bang, right? Mm-hmm. 
you set the temperature, the heater comes on, and then it goes off, and then the heater comes on, and then it goes off. It doesn't kind of come on. <laughs> well, I don't know. Our heater went out the other week, and it's kind of felt like it was kind of coming <laughs> on, but <laughs> I got it. Fundamentally, it was not. <laughs> and this is why it always makes me chuckle when somebody, you know, you, you come in, in in the winter, and your house is cold, and what's the first thing you do? You turn the thermostat up to 80. Yeah. It doesn't get warm any faster. I oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. This is yes, this is a marital dispute that I have for sure. Every time we get in the car, he like cranks it all the way up and it's like this is unnecessary. Well, so the car is an interesting Don't take his example. side, John Lehman. <laughs> because you know, there you have that knob of you're mixing warm and cold air. Mm-hmm. So it's not bang bang. Uh <laughs> okay well it's a good thing my husband doesn't listen to this then <laughs> so that would be a proportional type control where you can set okay i want to mix so much because your car has the very hot heat exchanger yeah. and then outside air or an air conditioner and you're setting how you want to mix those two in proportion to get your cabin air Ugh, whereas your heater at your house it's either a giant burning gas flame with a fan blowing across it or not <laughs> okay. yes Okay, gotcha. Uh, so there are a lot of things that are bang bang. Um, motor control can be either. So you can either turn the motor on or off, or you can kind of turn the motor on to change its speed. Okay. Uh, but a lot of uh, heat control systems or temperature control systems in laboratories, uh, like your hot water heater, is a bang bang control. Okay. Uh, so a lot of times if you've got some lab apparatus and you're setting it to a constant temperature, that's bang, bang. But if it has a, a range of temperatures, does that make it proportional then? No. Okay. It's only like in the car, you're mixing the hot and cold. It's not, you can go from super hot to kind of hot. Okay. That makes sense. Well, so there are some, and here's, here's where things start getting a little fuzzy. Uh, and I'm <laughs> no. actually playing with this right now. So <laughs> I've got a little heat pad that you apply power to it and it gets hot. Great. I'm going to put it under a block of aluminum and put a temperature sensor on that block of aluminum. And I'm going to create a control system for it. The heat pad itself has two states. It's on or it's off. Right. I'm either putting power to it or I'm not. Right. So in a traditional bang-bang controller, I would put power to it. And let's say I set it to be 72 degrees Fahrenheit. So it'd probably go up to, you know, 73-ish or so, and then turn off. And then when it got down to, say, 71, it would turn on again. Right. So you're oscillating around your set point. Right. In the engineering terms, that would be the set point or the set value, and the thing you're measuring would be called the process variable or the process value. Okay. This makes sense. So... Yeah, so now what are you doing to it? So now imagine, what if I turn that heating pad on and off a thousand times a second? Mm, okay. And how much of the, how many of those thousands of a second it's on versus how many thousands of that second it's off, I change. So when I get to seven, what did I say, 72? Was that my set point? Mm -hmm, yes. So when I get to 72, and when I go over 72, I start having it turned off a little bit more than it's turned on. Okay. And then when I get down a little below, I increase that proportion. So I'm changing effectively the duty cycle of this fast square wave. Okay. Mm -hmm. And feasibly, you're going to stay closer to 72 more of the time. You'll probably stay right on it. As opposed to overshooting and then letting it get cooler. And technically it's still bang bang because gotcha. i'm turning it on and off a thousand times a second <laughs> but you're going so fast that yeah okay but it behaves more proportional so the, the a true proportional solution to this would be i've got a big rheostat where i can control the current going to this heat pad mm -hmm. and i manipulate the current so then i'm changing how much power is going to it okay so that's a true proportional control, but most proportional things now are just, uh, we would call it pulse width modulated 
So we're changing the width of those square wave pulses. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. As opposed to, why wouldn't you just use a proportional controller to do this? Is this money again? Uh, money, complexity. Yeah, those are the main ones. <laughs> okay, so bang bang's my, easy. Even if you do it really fast, is that like going to wear it out faster or something like that, though? Not really. And in electronics, a kilohertz is dead slow. Really? Okay, so... Yeah. Uh, so it's not not a big issue. Um, if I wanted to buy that big variable rheostat, okay. that would be a very expensive thing because it's got to have a lot of power that it can handle. Okay. So that's more expensive. The control for it's going to be more expensive. Uh, the bang bang style control is going to be, you know, a MOSFET or something that's okay. cheap. Gotcha. It just depends on how you actually control it. Okay. Right. Okay. Makes sense. So then the next question is how do you know when to change your output? So what, what sort of, you, you have your set point and you have your process variable and they're different. So you're not where you want to be. Uh-huh. What are you going to do next? And uh-huh. there are different control strategies. The most common one is called a PID or a PID controller. Okay. This sounds familiar, but I also don't know what it stands for. <laughs> so it stands for proportional integral derivative. <laughs> it just sounds like a bunch of math words thrown together in synergy <laughs> <laughs> so it's all math there's a whole field called control theory yep <laughs> uh, where you can if you have a complete description of your system there are all kinds of fun things you can do to say will this system can i control it in a stable or an unstable way you know what will i be able to control it uh think about if you're designing an aircraft you want to have the control system be inherently stable Mm-hmm. Yes. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of math behind it. The simple explanation is what we're going to do, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't even understand how you control something in an unstable way. Well, so you can have a system. Think about uh, a system that heats up and cools down very, very fast. You know, it has a temperature swing of 100 degrees a second. Oh, okay. And you're turning on and off your little heating pad there. Yeah, all right, I gotcha. Are you ever going to get to where you want to be? I gotcha. All right, so the actual thing is stable, but it's just not allowing the whole system to behave stably. Okay. Right, you can't control it in a stable way. There you go. Okay, that makes sense. So a PID controller, the simplest is just P. And some controllers are just... They're just proportional. Okay, just like what we were talking about before. Right. And so this would be, I take my process variable and I take my set point and I see what the difference between those is. Okay. And I call that the error signal. So how far am I from where I want to be? And my output, my correction, is going to be proportional to how big my error is. Okay. So so let's say I had that big knob where I could adjust how hot my heating pad gets. If my my thing is sitting there at 70 degrees and I set it to 100 degrees, I'm going to turn the knob all the way up. I am 30 degrees off from where I want to be, so I'm going to really pour the power to it. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. As I get closer, my air signal goes down, so my control signal goes down. So when I get to 98 degrees, my knob's going to be way down because I don't need to apply that much more power to get those last couple degrees. Okay, that makes sense. Gotcha. But you'll see we hit a problem pretty fast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The closer we get, the smaller the air Mm -hmm. signal gets, the smaller the output gets. And then you don't start approaching it. Right? Is that the deal? Exactly. So, you know, 
Look at the wall nearest you. Walk halfway to it. Mm-hmm. Now walk halfway to halfway it. Halfway again. Now yeah. walk halfway to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate that thought experiment. You never get quite to where you're going. Gotcha. See, now this now, is... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. So this is real interesting because I feel like we have this machine called an isothermal remnant magnetization machine. So it creates a magnetization through a solenoid. And you do this with it, the output is a voltage and you zap it and that voltage, you know, you can do the correlation between how many millitesla that equals. <laughs> and it's funny because it's like we crank the knob all the way up and as we approach it, we turn the knob down. So it's like we manually do this. <laughs> right. I love it. So it's like this is an exact correlation to what this thing is automatically trying to do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And as a human... A lot of times, so um, when you're driving, if you take off from a stoplight and the speed limit's 30, you're going to press the gas pedal less than if you took off from a stoplight and the speed limit were 70, right? Right. Like your, your error signal, your delta between where you are and where you want to be, how big that is determines how much you're pressing the gas. If you were two miles an hour under the speed you wanted to go, you're not going to floor it to get there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or most people don't. <laughs> Oops. So, but we have this problem of you never quite get to your set point. In a lot of real systems that have real things like inertia or thermal inertia in your case, in some, you know, if you have a, a temperature thing that you're trying to control, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because by the time you turn your proportional down enough, the system's going to coast to above where you wanted it anyway. Yeah. So like when I turn my heating pad off, there's residual heat in the heat pad that's still diffusing into my block of metal. So I'm going to overshoot my temperature slightly anyway. Right. If you want to see an example of a not very great bang, bang, P con- or well, not really even P just a, not really great bang 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 with a wide hysteresis range mm-hmm. uh go grab a toaster oven though they're great examples they're on or they're off yes. and the thermal inertia carries them uh on past their set point but that's not truly a p because it's not varying how much power is applied to those coils right it's just how the coils work right yeah. so that's where the next term i comes in So I, we integrate the error signal over time. To reduce it. Right. So if you're really close to where you want to be and you're not getting there, that error adds up over time. I mean, think of it as summing the error. So you might say, okay, I'm going to look at the last minute and I may have only been off a tenth of a degree for that minute. But when I sum a tenth of a degree over a minute, now I get six degrees error signal, you know, right. if you're doing it every second or something like that. Yeah. So, so you integrate the error so that small errors grow large over time. Mm-hmm. And then your system has to do something about it. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's how you solve the actually getting to the wall problem. <laughs> I can't explain that to my kid whenever I try that thought experiment. But yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And now we come in to the, so PI controllers would be proportional integral. Those are also relatively common. Now the D. Derivative. (sighs) Great. See, I'd already forgotten. I thought it was differential. (laughs) So the derivative is the time rate of change of something, which unless you've had calculus, that doesn't really mean anything. (laughs) Or if you've had calculus and you're like me, it still doesn't mean anything. (laughs) (laughs) So it's sort of how fast is the thing changing? And the way that I would try to explain this is let's say you have a, a vase that's very wide at the bottom and then tapered up to a small neck at the top. Uh And you're filling it with water. As you get towards the top, it's going to fill much more quickly, right? Because right. it's a smaller volume. Yep. So the rate at which the height of water is going up is changing. There you go. Yeah. Makes sense. And if you're filling that vase at the sink 
what do you do when you hear that little noise as the water starts coming up the neck you slow down on the water there you go so true you just performed the derivative function Excellent. so the derivative function looks at how fast is my error signal changing and i am going to change my feedback relative to that so this is really great for dealing with things like overshoot due to inertia. Right. I was just thinking of the breaking, the amount you're breaking as you're, you know, the, ex- the example you had earlier, speeding up versus slowing down there. Yeah. Makes sense. So when you're doing, uh, when you're driving, you are a PID controller. You're doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, because if you just like press down on the brake the same amount, and left it there <laughs> it wouldn't work so well <laughs> oh like 16 year old flashbacks coming back it's not cool right <laughs> gotcha uh so the derivative term on a lot of systems you can leave it out just because you uh, don't need that kind of control right okay uh, a great example of where you can't is drone control ah mm-hmm. yeah because lots of Lots of bang, bang crashes there. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's say you're changing the throttle of a motor that's connected to a propeller. Mm-hmm. So you need the P term of, I need a lot more power on this side because I'm going down or okay. because my person asked me to turn. So that's proportional. Integral is you know actually getting to the set point that you wanted to get to. But D are things like you know flashbacks to physics now. There is this moment of inertia <laughs> Of that rotating <laughs> propeller. <laughs> What's that going to do? Yeah. <laughs> and when you tell it to slow down uh-huh. and you pull back on the power, it's not going to slow down as much as you think it should immediately because mm-hmm. of inertia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which is real scary when you're flying a drone for the first time. <laughs> so the D takes care of that. Yeah. And generally, the D gain is the smallest. Okay. That makes sense. But it's probably because, the most expensive, isn't it? Uh, no, not really. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, and in reality, pretty much everything that has a PID controller, it's all implemented in software now. Oh, okay. That's crazy. I imagine it's really, that's a big change. It, yeah, I mean, but you think about it, you've got an error signal, and so you're doing subtraction. Yeah. And then you're doing multiplication to get proportional. Mm-hmm. You're doing an integral, which is a bunch of summations. Yep. to get the integral gain and you're doing a derivative which is a bunch of subtractions and divisions mm-hmm. so fairly easy yeah um i will say i just built for a customer a completely analog pid controller oh seriously i did Old school. Uh, yeah so using there are these little things called op amps operational amplifiers okay. and most people just think of them as a way to take a signal and amplify it they don't ever think about why are they called operational amplifiers. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's because these little things can be used to take integrals and derivatives of signals. That's awesome. And it's all analog. It's all done with resistors and capacitors. That's awesome. And transistors. Uh, but you're not actually doing math per se in that you're taking this number subtracting this number you're taking these voltages and running it through a complex set of these very basic components and getting a voltage out that is the integral okay yeah that makes sense if you know that's what it's doing yes well i mean the advantage there like one of the reasons this system happened to be analog is it needed to respond very very fast and to get a processor that could do this very very fast on as many channels as we needed and everything else, it was expensive. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so PID controllers are everywhere. The cruise control on your car is PID. Uh, pretty much everything <laughs> that has a control <laughs> system that's not bang bang is PPI or PID. Okay, that um, makes sense. Now, the catch is each of those terms has a gain or, you know, how much P do you want? How much I do you want? How much D do you want? Um, And there's even some fancier things that you can do, like what I've done in this, where you have what's called D feedback. So you take 
the output of the derivative and feed it back into the error input. Ah, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you sort of get the second derivative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're doing this analog. And I'm doing it all analog. Okay. Because that seems easy to do software-wise. Yeah, it's really not that bad to do analog either. Okay. I mean, voltages are... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just manipulation. Gotcha. Yep. Uh, so, and you, there's a whole bunch of fun engineering stuff. Uh, like, so, you know, you take the derivative of position and you get what? The, the, the rate of change with time of your position. Mm-hmm. That's your velocity. Mm-hmm. And then you take uh, the derivative D, D, of your okay. velocity. Mm-hmm. And what do you get? I don't know. So your, the rate of change of your velocity is your acceleration. Acceleration. Come on, man. I know this. This is too late at night. <laughs> <laughs> so now here comes the one where I ask this because, you know, this is something you learn in like intro physics, in high, which I had in high school. And me being, you know, a high schooler, I was like, so what's the derivative of acceleration? <laughs> and, you know, they're like, shut up. You're being a jerk. <laughs> But so the derivative of acceleration is actually called jerk. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and oh, okay, that's great. And you think about it, so how fast your acceleration changes. If you had to describe that, you would say, "Well, it felt like a jerk." Yeah. Okay. Like when you go from zero to a thousand on some of these roller coasters. <laughs> right. Yeah. That that is fantastic. I will say that uh, jounce is the fourth derivative. So jounce is the fourth derivative, and then there are higher orders after that. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, so there are three higher orders uh-huh. that are commonly referred to. After that, they really don't bother. Uh, yeah. But they are snap, crackle, and pop. Oh, man. These jokester physicists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. Uh, anyway, so these are all things that you can, I mean, you can, your control system can get as complicated as you want. Okay. Yeah. Just how much money do you have, right? How much money, how much development time in reality, PI is probably the most common, mm-hmm. uh, and then PID for a lot of things. Now tuning those gains, those coefficients, uh, if you have a perfect mathematical model of your system, you can do it purely mathematically. Okay. Yeah. Good luck with that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, sometimes you can get a model of your system that's close enough to give you the initial values. Mm-hmm. It always comes down to tweaking the values and seeing what happens. Uh, and so, like, let's say that your proportional gain is set too high. Well, then you get into the a bang bang type scenario. Okay. Yeah. Where, you know. You're one degree under where you want to be, so you turn it all the way on. And then, or in your car, uh, it's a little colder than you want, so you turn it all the way up. And then it's hotter than you want, so you turn it all the way down. Mm-hmm. And you just oscillate between those two. So you, you oscillate, and that's unstable. Right, right. So you turn the P gain down until you don't oscillate anymore. That makes sense. And then you start turning the I gain up until it becomes the thing, you turn it back down. There you go. And you turn the D gain up until it becomes the nature back down. Uh, <laughs> so there's actually a method called the Ziegler-Nichols method mm-hmm. where you turn the P gain up until it just starts oscillating. And you measure the time that those oscillations, what the period of the oscillation is. Mm-hmm. So like say in your temperature controller, the period of oscillation is 34 seconds. And then you take the P gain and your period of oscillation and plug it into some formulas and it says, here's my best guess at what I and D gains are. Mm-hmm. It's purely empirical. It's not bad. Right. Okay. It's a great place to start oh, when you yeah. have nowhere else to start. Yeah, there you go. That's what I was going to say. But it all comes down to just messing with it in the right. end. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> you can't... Um, get rid of the value of yeah having to screw around with it yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. to get what you want yeah okay gotcha 
purely mathematical model of your system. Ridiculous. I mean, sometimes you can get pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Like, like if you're heating a big container of water, that's a pretty simple system to model. It sure is. Uh, <laughs> we know the heat capacity of water very well. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Not my well water. It's got some crazy junk in it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so really the only thing we haven't talked about is you have digital commands in most modern systems that are doing all of this. Mm -hmm. So how do you turn digital commands back into an analog signal? Because mm -hmm. the real world is analog. Yeah. And last week we had the analog to digital converter. So any guesses at what this week's tool is? <gasps> the reverse of that. The digital to analog converter. <laughs> Also known as the DAC. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> well, that's not fair. The digital to analog converter has a cool acronym, but the other way around. Yeah, the other one's just ADC. Yeah. Hmm. Um, anyway, so DACs. So DACs, there's a lot of ways to implement these in the silicon, but fundamentally, you're taking all of those bits that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. And setting a voltage to one of those values. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, for example, on a system that I just worked on, I had something that went from minus 15 to 15 volts. Mm -hmm. And it had 10 bits of resolution. Okay. So that's a 30-volt range. And then mm -hmm. 10 bits is 1,024 different values that it could potentially have. Right. So 30 divided by 1,024 means that I could change the voltage in 0 0.029 volt increments. Great. So 30 millivolts. So I could set that voltage to be anything you want from minus 15 to plus 15 volts to within a 30 millivolt precision. With two within a 0.29 millivolt precision. 0.29. Oh, there you go. Volt. There you go. Sorry. Yeah. So <laughs> I could, it, some of the numbers that you might want, I could hit dead on. Some mm -hmm. of them I can get close. Right. Just like when you're going the other way. Right. Some of them you can hit dead on, some of them you can just get close. Mm -hmm. Makes it's sense. all about how close you want to get. If I wanted to pay for a more expensive yep. DAC, uh, instead of 1,024 different values, uh, I could have, if it was 16-bit, I'd have 65,535 values. Gotcha. So that would let me set it to 0.00045 volts. But all comes down to how much money you want to spend. All comes down to how much money you want to spend and how and important it is it? to you. Yep. It's close you enough it? for this application. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. If you're, if you're setting a mix ratio on a climate control system in a car, it doesn't matter. <laughs> As anyone who's driven in a car understands that no one thinks it matters, and therefore you have marital fights every time it's cold outside. <laughs> I mean, let's say it's 8 bits, so you've got 255, 256 positions. Uh -huh. A human is not going to be able to tell the difference between position 165 and 166. I feel like that what you're telling me makes sense but also i feel like that the car is a bang bang i feel like it's a billion degrees or it's no degrees <laughs> like <laughs> i just don't feel like that's in between well i'm not saying that the control in a car is necessarily linear <laughs> and that's Correct. something that's not even in notes we're not going to talk about it at length <laughs> but there are some systems like if you want to control the volume of something mm-hmm so humans perceive volume in a logarithmic way. Right, yeah. So that's how you want your knob to work. Exactly. Mm -hmm. If your knob, if when you turn it from one to two, the power to the thing goes up by a factor of two, it's not going to be twice as loud. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's a problem there. Uh, so some systems uh, you have to control in a logarithmic way. Uh-huh. Uh, so in, in just for that reason, for the volume, uh, but there are potentiometers, you know, resistors that you can change their value by twisting a shaft. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you can buy those in what's called linear or logarithmic taper <laughs> for that exact reason. <sighs> there you go. Mm -hmm. 
that sounds more complicated. But but think about a system. Okay, you're trying to control. Uh, you're putting something in a wind tunnel, and you want it to experience constant drag. You want to control the fan speed on the wind tunnel so that your object experiences constant drag. Okay. Well, drag is proportional to velocity squared. Right. And then the translation of how fast the fan motor spins to how much air is blowing is not linear either. Mm-hmm. So now you have this complex polynomial that you're using to relate, okay, my drag is you know, 0.02 lower than it should be. How much more power do I need to give the fan? Mm-hmm. Those are fun problems. <laughs> Yes, fun. <laughs> or there are problems where you say, we don't care what the actual, that would be called a transfer function. We don't care what the transfer function is, just stick a PID controller on it and she'll be right. There you go. And a lot of times that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what's so disturbing because it's like when we were talking last week, the things that the electronics that you buy what they do internally and if you don't know that it's signal processing you know that that always kind of creeps me out a little bit i feel like that's what you just said well nothing's ever perfect either way well perfect but if it's doing stuff that i don't want it to do or that i don't know it's doing seems kind of sneaky well and so the motors on the paleomagnetometer sample handler that i built you mm-hmm they have PID controllers built into them. Okay. So I tell them where to go. And I don't know if you've ever tried this. Uh, I'm going to you, now. <laughs> you can grab like the rotation motor. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. And move it and it will pop back to where it should be. Right. Yes. Which and is that's much because, different from the old one. <laughs> oh, yeah. The old ones, you rotate it and it just stays there. Yeah. <laughs> because they had no way of knowing where they actually were. Yeah, because that was a big problem. So these... They have PID control. They say, oh, I'm not where I should be. And as soon as you let go, they do something about it. Yeah. Uh, Which also means because they're never perfectly there. Mm -hmm. If you let the PID controller just go, it would always be tweaking it slightly. Uh, And so it never would be quite perfectly still. Okay. Which for you is a problem. Yes. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Because it needs to be perfectly still. So a lot of times there's a a dead band that gets put in to where when you get this close, stop trying. It's good okay. enough. So it's not sitting there vibrating essentially? Right. Okay. Uh, sometimes that's accomplished by just changing the coefficients to where it's not that sensitive. But then you don't get ideal performance. Sometimes it's literally putting in a dead band where it says, if the error is smaller than this amount, just call the error zero and Ah, it's good. And stop. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. But all of that happens by turning digital things into voltages or taking voltages and doing math on them. Okay. And I said this last week after we stopped the show, uh, the amazing thing to me is that these little chips that are doing this, whether they're op amps that you don't write a software for, they just do their thing, or whether it's a microcontroller that you write a piece of software for, or whether it's a processor inside you know, your laptop. Fundamentally, this is sand that does math. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it's unbelievable. So when when you're complaining about, you know, oh, this this cat video on YouTube is taking too long to load, remember that it is literally grains of sand that we have done special things to that recorded that video, stored that video, transmitted that video, and then turn it back into light. That sand needs to work harder. Yes. (laughs) See, this is why geology is important, everybody. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome, because you need to optimize... Your sand to cat converters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. And on but that I note. think that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's enough of me ranting on about control systems. Uh, if you are a control engineer, uh, feel free to send, you know, all of your feedback about how I butchered your field. Uh, that's just my practical experience with it. Uh, 
Excellent. And I have no experience with it, clearly. Don't even remember <laughs> that the derivative of velocity is acceleration, because it's 11 o'clock at night. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was 20 years ago. Uh, anyway. <laughs> well, on a completely different note, Thanks. it's time for everybody's favorite segment. Fun Paper Friday. Yay. I don't know if this is a fun paper sent in by listener Daryl, but it is an interesting paper. Yeah. So implicit violent imagery processing among fans and non-fans of music with violent themes. Yes. <laughs> um, having a, and so this is by Sun et al. Um, in the Royal Society Open Science so that's nice you can this is an open access journal um having a son who is quickly approaching his teen years i find that i am very you know old person about the stuff he listens to so i think this is very interesting (laughs) right so to boil it down this study said does listening to violent music like death metal or (laughs) Uh, they also classified rap and hip hop and several other things that were offensive to old people's ears. <laughs> yeah. Uh, does listening to that make you more immune, more desensitized to violence? So if you listen to death metal and then you saw somebody get shot, will you have less of a reaction than somebody who doesn't listen to death metal, just listens to the Beatles? Right. And so they said, which I'm sure many people are familiar with, um, that this is, there's been a lot of science done on if you play violent video games, does this desensitize you? If you watch violent content on TV, does that desensitize you? But there has been less study on violence in music. So I thought that was sort of an interesting thing, number one, from this study. And I mean, my intuition about this was, well, sure yeah absolutely that's exactly what i would have said as well and i'm real disappointed because now i can't yell at my son science proves this yeah because science actually disproves it exactly oh man so they do this weird binary visual thing though in the methods which i knew you were going to be all over i was i really want to find an app that will simulate this yeah binocular Uh, rivalry there you go they yeah. used a MATLAB toolbox to do it, so I'm sure I could code something up in Python to do it. I just mm-hmm. have not got that motivated. <laughs> you're, uh, <laughs> you're still playing with the acronym generator from a couple weeks ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they show you, you, you have a set of glasses on that have a screen in front of each eye. Mm-hmm. And they show you the same picture in both eyes of something that's violent. And then they show you the same picture in both eyes of something that's nonviolent. And then they put one picture in one eye and another picture in the other eye. And apparently, most of the time, your brain only sees one of them. That's so weird. It says sometimes that they can mix, but generally you only see one image. Your brain can only process one. It kind of gives me a headache to think about doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what are you doing to your poor eyeballs? And it, and it can happen? change. So, like, they had... I, I also thought the most confusing part of this whole study was you had to remember, like, okay, if it's my left eye, I press F. If it's yes. my right eye, I press J. And if I see a mix, I press the space bar. I, uh, <laughs> I've done one of these studies with that, and I also agree. That was the weirdest part of it was like oh what are the three buttons i have to memorize yeah yeah it seems like they could build you know some controllers like squeeze your left hand or squeeze your right hand or yes, squeeze exactly. both yeah this this big button or that big button yeah right mm-hmm. i agree but anyway but so they would look at this pair of images for 60 seconds and which one is dominant can change during that time mm-hmm. so suddenly it can flash to this a different image that's Brains are weird, man. Yeah, brains are real weird. Yeah, that's creepy. And so the whole point was to see, are there biases in seeing the violent image if you're rocking out to death metal versus (laughs) one of the songs they did was Happy, which I thought was really funny. Not death metal music. (laughs) 
Right. So happy was the the control song, and then uh, the violent <laughs> song was eaten by bloodbath. Yes, <laughs> bloodbath, one of my all time favorites. Just just, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Um, that's great. I just actually love how they keep talking about the Eaton versus Happy. And they just right. say Eaton and Happy. I love it. <laughs> I'm like, Eaton? Eaton makes me happy, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and they try to control lots of things. Like they used, they made the root mean square intensity of the two songs the same. <laughs> they manipulated them so that the average tempo is 148 beats per minute on both. That's intense. Yeah. They've, they, have, they have definitely taken a lot of care in just making the lyrics the main thing yeah and they tried the the pictures they matched them in luminance and luminance and contrast for each set of photos that you were shown so you wouldn't pick the brighter one yeah interesting uh so it was really well controlled and uh this is where so this paper is 11 pages long most of it could have been written with about 30% of the words. Yeah, that's probably true. Okay. Uh, there was a lot of re- repetition in the analysis. Hey, look, you tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them what you told them, and then you tell them again. They definitely did that. Yes, they uh, did. <laughs> so among non-fans, they did see the violent image more during Eaton than during Happy. Mm-hmm. Fans, they said it was about equal, though the error bars, eh. Yeah. Um, for the neutral image, non-fans saw happy more, happy things more when they were listening to happy. Mm-hmm. And fans saw about the same. Yeah, I thought, and obviously that's the really interesting thing. Is so that... really, it what they're listening to has no effect. Yeah. And so they say in there that for fans of death metal, it can affect them like any other fans of anything else where they actually, you know, can relax to this music because they like it. And that's the key thing, which was crazy. Right. But non-fans, you know, they're listening to these lyrics and then they are seeing more violent images. So it actually makes them more likely to see the violent image. Mm -hmm. Where non-fans are just sitting there chilling, looking at images. Right. Yeah. So it's like, if you like that kind of stuff, it doesn't make you a larger propensity to see violent things. But if you don't, you're obviously going to be disconcerted about it and more aware. And then you've got this bias towards it. Which so makes you're sense. not desensitized. Right. But you are sensitized to it. But the other people are hypersensitive. Right. Yeah. Oh, here's the, here's the line. Uh, previous research has found that fans of violent death metal music experience power, joy, and peace while listening to this music. Interesting. Right. So, and I thought it was interesting too. They said that generally a a human, we're more likely to see the violent thing anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what makes you survive. Which is really weird to think about. So, and they talk about this in terms of emotional valence in here as well. Uh, Where they say, you know, so fans of violent music do become desensitized to the aggressive and violent themes in their preferred music in that they assigned high ratings of emotional valence relative to those of non-fans. Right. So that means that you've got this positive experience. It's not that you're desensitized to the violence. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, it's... It was a slightly confusing study to read. I will say that. (laughs) And it's like, I don't know. It made me go through all these references to look at all these studies. And, you know, is this true for video games and television shows? Because it seemed like from the introduction that there's mixed results on both of those things. 
Yes, and there are 84 references, so you have lots of reading here. So many angry parents ran this research. Yes. <laughs> so many. Um, yeah, it's great. The, one of my favorites is there's an interesting one in science that I'm kind of curious about now called The Visual Impact of Gossip. Oh, that is very interesting. Yeah. There's one that's acoustic parameters of dog barks carry emotional information for humans. <laughs> it's 100% true. I didn't need oh, a yeah. study to tell you that. <laughs> oh, that that's her. I have something treed bark. Yes, or I've got to go potty bark. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is a very emotional response of, I don't want to clean up that potty, so I better get downstairs. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so th- this is really interesting and an outcome that i did not expect at all so yeah see this is what the importance of science so kids listen to your death metal all you want clearly you're fine right (laughs) but turn it down and get off my lawn (laughs) (laughs) yes and turn it down in a logarithmic fashion (laughs) so if you have your own control system study death metal study or just want to see how loud you can play the song happy <laughs> you can send those results in to us shannon how can they get a hold of us show at don'tpanicgeocast.com we're on twitter at geo underscore lehman i'm at shannon doolin and together we are at don't panic geo uh we're on the slack channel the software underground the don't panic channel and as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping us going. If you would like to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. <laughs>